upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. What's up, guys? It's the phenomenal AJ Styles. You're listening to the two-man power trip. Hi, folks. I'm WWE Hall of Famer Hacksaw Jim Duggan. If you'd like hearing knock-knock jokes or jokes about your grandmother, go somewhere else! Oh! oh my god, this is Joey Styles, and you're listening to the Two Man Power Trip Podcast. This is Cody Rhodes, and you are listening to Two Man Power Trip. Good, how you doing, Chad? Hey, Johnny. Cool, man, what's going on? We ready to go, or what? This is a uh, special visitor, the hardcore legend, Mick Foley. It was a very rough feud to go through with Rick. It was a very bitter feud, too. He certainly didn't like me at that time, and I didn't like him, and we were both trying to be at the top. I don't do many wrestling shows anymore, probably because I'm a bit ignorant. You guys probably know ten times more than I do. Look, Mean Gene, I can't beat beat. I'm the greatest of all time. And I would say that, and every kid, I, they knew they could kick shit out of me. At this point, well, I'll be at a signing, and little kids will come up to me and throw up the click sign or talk about, oh, your ladder match with Sean at WrestleMania 10. I go, wait a minute, you weren't even a glimmer in your dad's eye. But yeah, bro, it's really flattering and, and amazing and humbling. Great talking to you guys. It's been your pleasure. <laughs> They've worked in and around the wrestling business. They've studied thousands of hours of wrestling. And now they bring to you the greatest legends, Hall of Famers, creative minds, and both current and future stars of pro wrestling. They are Primetime Pod and Chad, the two men. of wrestling's flagship interview show i am your host jp john paz and on this episode we have none other than teddy hart what a great episode to get here on the two-man power trip of wrestling's podcast empire a rare get a great interview and if you didn't know already the youngest star ever assigned to the wwe a member of the infamous hart family 
all a part of the Hart family legacy and, of course, trained in the infamous Hart dungeon. He has so many great stories about his grandfather, Stu, him being the oldest grandson of Stu Hart. He's got just so many great stories about him, his family, his uncles, obviously Brett the Hitman Hart. Owen Hart just got some great stuff. He's got some great stuff on Davy Boy Smith. He's got some great stories about Chris Benoit and the Dynamite Kid and growing up with Tyson Kidd and Harry Smith. So, I mean, he's got some great, great stuff. And this is just an unbelievable interview. I mean, he, he's just so easy and fun to talk to and kind of has a bad reputation. But maybe, as we talk about in the interview, maybe shouldn't be so. It's kind of up for you to decide, I guess. But I think maybe he is misunderstood. And we talk about in the interview a lot of misconceptions and a lot of people misunderstanding him and a lot of things that kind of came out about him where he got in trouble. Maybe if you pay, you know kept paying attention to it, you'll see the true story come out. And that's kind of what uh, the verdict is on in the interview. He's basically saying, you know, if you look up these stories and times he got in trouble, things like that, maybe he screwed up a few times and maybe he bounced back a few times. But let's see, you know, the truth and everything. And he's saying that, a lot of it is misconceptions and misunderstandings. So, I mean, just you got to take him for his word right now and you get really got to kind of just hear him out and hear what he has to say and just really kind of delve deep into the facts. Don't just go about what you heard or what you think you heard. Or if you want, he said, you go and ask him. If you find him, you know, you just go and ask him. He'll tell you the truth. And he's got a lot of things kind of coming down the pike. He's going to be on social media a lot more. He's going to be coming out with his own podcast. He's going to be doing a YouTube show. So really, really pay attention to Teddy Hart. One of the guys many years ago, as he was originally signed in 1998 as a very young competitor, he's been in the business for 25 years and he's barely 40 so kind of put that in perspective and just think about that and think about how long he's wrestling and how young he was when he started but just think about him such a great work if you really just think about him watch the matches an innovator for sure unbelievable innovator unbelievable talent had the ground game has the work great but also can do all the high flying movers maneuvers can do all the crazy moves that you wouldn't think can be done, he could do them. He's an innovator. He is just a fantastic wrestler. And like we talked about the interview, there is some untapped potential maybe. He could have been a huge star in the WWE perhaps. And um, we'll kind of you know leave it at that as far as that is concerned. But we do go through his whole career from Canada, Stampede, to OVW, FCW, WWE, the Funkin' Conservatory, ROH, AAA, TNA, and everywhere in between. So before I get it off to the interview, just want to say a part of the two-man podcasting, two-man power trip, excuse me, podcasting empire, we have Rick Bassman's Talking Tough on Podcast One. We have... Dirty Dutch, his University of Dutch on the MLW Radio Network. We have Shane Douglas' Triple Threat podcast on Vince Russo's The Brand. And of course, on our own feed here, talking, excuse me, taking you to school with Dr. Tom Pritchard. So we got quite a great array of shows, and we're kind of trying to take over the podcasting world with all these shows. We got a few new shows and a few new things coming down the pike, which will be out and available to you very soon. But stay tuned to the two-man power trip, and you will hear a lot of news and notes and things of that nature. But for now, I'm going to send it on off to some two-man power trip of wrestling business and then send it on over to the interview with the one and only Teddy Hart. And now for some TMPT business. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip and at Raslin Pal. Subscribe to us on YouTube. Also, subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts. Please leave us a review 
We would love to hear your feedback. Check out the feed for awesome past episodes, including Bruno San Martino, Sean Mike, Dusty Rhodes, Jerry Lawler, Terry Funk, Goldberg, Ray Mysterio Jr., Arn Anderson, Glenn Kane Jacobs, and so many more. While you're on the web, visit ProWrestlingTees.com. Yes, that is ProWrestlingTees.com. Visit our store, visit J.J. Dillon's store, Francine's store, and of course, the franchise Shane Douglas' store. For all you Android users out there, find us on Google Play and Player FM. For all you iOS users, check us out on TuneIn Radio, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Podomatic, and now Stitcher. And of course, check out the Empire. Yes, that is the TMPT Empire now. TMPTEmpire.com for all the latest and greatest on the two-man power trip of wrestling. And now, without any further ado, a former MLW middleweight and world tag team champion, former JAPW ROH TNA and AAA star. He is a member of the Heart family. He is the youngest wrestler ever signed to a WWE deal. He is none other than Teddy Hart. Please enjoy. Joining us on the line right now is a former MLW middleweight and world tag team champion. He's been in JAPW, ROH, MLW, TNA, AAA. He is the youngest ever signed to a WWE developmental deal. He is the one and only Teddy Hart. Teddy, welcome to the two-man power trip. Uh, Thank you so much for having me. Uh, Really excited anytime I get to talk to my fans. and seems like you're pretty well-versed in the history of wrestling and uh, understand the respect level that goes goes with, I guess, carrying the heart name. So some guys, they don't realize uh, I'm always about making wrestling look good uh, for fans, especially when I'm talking in podcasts. Obviously, sometimes stuff I do in shoot interviews uh, or my real life stuff might be a little different. But for podcasts, especially in the future, I really want to make sure fans uh, get to see a positive side of it. And what we're trying to do with, with the podcast is get a certain message out to people. And that's to smile and to be happy and to listen with an open mind. Absolutely. And you mentioned being a heart, obviously, being the you know grandson of the legendary Stu Hart and being a part of the Hart dynasty and the Hart family and the Hart foundation. Is that a lot of pressure kind of uh, being a part of the Hart family? Yeah, I don't think you get put in a worse, uh, a worse pressure cooker. Depends on uh, what kind of what kind of diamond you want to turn into. If you want to turn into a fake-ass diamond that uh, cracks under pressure and is not considered valuable, then I guess, you know, pressure creates weaknesses and uh, flaws and potentially uh, cracks over the years. And I like to think that I've been put under a ton of pressure, but in certain aspects, maybe I have cracked a little bit, but I've never smoked crack or done coke or done meth or taken any any, any painkillers ever in my career. 
So I like to always set that part of the record straight with things that mm-hmm. people get all fucking weird about questions and talking shit about drugs and crazy stuff about, uh, you know, the pressure and how I maybe didn't come, you know, reach my full potential. It's like there's so many accidents that happen in our family and weird things that it was out of my control, a lot of stuff. And it's just timing for me. That's how I look in the mirror and get through a lot of my stuff because personally, I don't think uh, there's a few things that are my fault, definitely. And there's a few things that are misunderstandings or, again, I'll say uh, came out later on that that wasn't the truth and I was acquitted of things. So, But the pressure gives you a line to walk. It's a measuring stick on the wrestling connection part, on the wrestling end part, on the quality of matches part, on the making other guys look good part, on still keeping it looking like a shoot, still trying to kind of be kayfabe with stuff. Like as much as I have exposed the business, I always keep it kind of a legit shoot too. And I wrestle a shoot style and I still go up to the top ropes and risk my life for simple things like somebody smile and clap and uh, their their satisfaction guaranteed when they watch a guy like Teddy Hart, which spreads the seed to many other guys. It spreads a virus type of thing where it's like, you need to step up to the fucking plate and hit a home run too. Cause I just did. And I just got off an eight hour airplane ride and I got big pressure and a lot of death and a lot of excuses I could use as reasons to not be that good. And again, mark the man from the videotapes, mark the man from the stuff you guys watched and not what people said secondhand on the internet. And that's what I really ask people to be open-minded and to judge me for what's the worst thing I got caught. I did steroids and smoke weed. Who gives a shit? Really, if that's the worst thing, and I had a prescription for both of them, come on, guys, give me a break at the end of the day. I can't talk about much, but I can say this uh, with with a good heart that I've been an extremely good person for 25 years of my life, and I've really tried to concentrate on being a good person outside the ring, and I don't care what the rumors are. I know the man, and I, I know the myth, the legend, Jack Evans, can attest for that. And he's the king to me, the guy that's made everybody look good. Every single guy that's ever been in the ring with Jack Evans or Tyson Kidd or probably Harry Smith or Natalia will say that they're from my, the Teddy Hart school of, of psychology. And that's never make a guy look bad and always take advantage of the situation when you're blessed to get into the ring to have a good match, five-star match, because you never know who's watching, including God's watching. And you're watching yourself in the future if you ever get to heaven or you're lucky enough to tap into your own memories at some stake and then put your memories onto a screen or a database or an SD chip or something like that. And you can watch your life right back on tape in front of your own face and people can catch you in a live end when you said you did something and you did and you can actually watch yourself in the future and see what type of life you lived or that's what purgatory is. Maybe you get to watch yourself in slow motion for a long time and see what type of human being you were when you're on the planet when nobody was watching. Yeah, a lot of people probably. have bullshit to say, but again, the pressure to me uh, makes me accountable for my actions. And uh, as match for match for match, I watch and I really say with confidence, I really think people can't say this is the best match ever, but it was up there with those matches that were considered five star with almost every single guy I've ever been in the ring with. And that's my code. That's my honor. That's my, uh, you know, fucking promise to every person that ever decided to watch wrestling and they heard the Teddy Hart name was on the on the show that they watched and walked away and said that guy definitely made a difference in the in the sport for me liking it and wanting to watch it again in the future and that puts money in everybody's fucking pocket absolutely and you are the oldest grandson of Stu Hart in the Hart family and you're talking about you know pressure cooker and a lot of deaths and stuff like that but what's it like kind of just being the oldest grandson of Stu Hart and kind of, you know, living up to those expectations. It's an honor to me. It was, it was one of the greatest honors bestowed uh, being healthy and having great parents and having a great grandfather and grandmother and some pretty, pretty great uncles too. Uh, I can be hard on bread on a few things, but as a man 
and as a legend and for fans that loved him and love him and loved everything he did and how he approached things and outside the ring, the type of guy he was, which is to me, one of the greatest human beings ever still for autographs and signing and patience with fans and like actual love for what the fans really thought about him as a character and as a man outside the ring in a bar, having a beer with you or to be human at the same time was, I thought Brett did that as, as well as anybody ever, very classy, that, that type of thing. He had his complaints and said what he needed to say, and he was open about what he wanted to say because he had paid his dues enough to say what he wanted to without really suffering the consequences, except for getting a few of his family members blackballed and burned, uh, which I guess in his eyes wasn't his problem. He got to say what he wanted to say because he did what he wanted to do in the ring, and that was to make people look good, and he had great matches with so many different guys that – he, I guess, felt the need that he had to do what he had to do. And I understand that situation. So the rest of it was, I thought Owen was one of those guys that really wanted to see guys do well and really was excited about me and Tyson Kidd wrestling. And that was a big, big thing where it was like being Stu Hart's grandson, not just coming around with being Stu Hart's grandson. It's Owen Hart's nephew. It's Bret Hart's nephew. It's David mm-hmm. Hart's nephew. It's Dynamite Kid's protege. Or it's the guy that Chris Benoit thought was going to be the next big thing. Or it was the guy that, you know, Kevin Nash really accepted as, you know, cool and mellow and as a friend outside the ring that was a young kid that he looked up to that he had enough time to text Shawn Michaels, Teddy Hart's a really good guy and he was a great wrestler and I thought that was cool that he at least vouched for me or Razor Ramon being super nice to me and giving me, you know, a couple of pieces of advice like pray before your meals and say something nice, you know, and and be surprised if you have a better day just doing that and you shut your mouth a lot more if you're going to talk, you have to listen twice as much as you talk. And that's tough for a guy like me. Self-awareness is something I think I'm very self-aware and I talk a lot. I back the motherfucking shit up all the time though. And when I listen, I listen better than anybody. When people tell me their stories, I can recite their story back to them five years later because I take great pride in conversation. I take great pride in my meals. And these are things being Stu Hart's grandson. Question again being, what was it for, you know, and being Stu Hart's grandson that you carry on this tradition of how he lived his life and how he taught certain skills and how he taught certain lessons, <clears throat> the free squats, the wake up in the morning, do the push-ups, all these little joint locks and ankle locks and finger locks and knuckle locks I know, and the, it's the old carny shoot wrestling stuff. I don't show people out of it, but I still have all my teeth in my mouth for a reason. I've been in jail numerous times, and I've been lucky enough to get out of, in and out of, in and out of jail without having to seriously kill anybody in jail because I'm smart enough to be able to showcase my smarts. It takes a lot more skill to deflect violence than it is to be violent. I'll knock the fucking shit out of a lot of guys in this business, but that takes zero, zero skills of camaraderie or love or peace or understanding or patience. You can just be a fucking hothead and beat somebody up. But I remember when I had the incident with CM Punk, it would have never happened, but he hit me first. So after I get hit first, and obviously then it shifts on because I will take a shot and I've taken a shot from a few females too. And I had to take the shot and fucking eat the shot at the same time. Some of these girls are fucking uh, 20 years younger than me and I'm old enough to be their dad. And I want to see them make it past just the relationship with me, but to be successful human beings in their life. Cause they got 20, 30, 40, 50 years potentially on earth as ladies, as the daughters of some guy that's their dad, that they want to keep the memory of their, of their, uh, we'll say innocence uh, out there, you know, and it's, I'm not getting off the subject again, but Natalia is a prime idea or prime example of a classy female, you know, and she's done a great job for all those years living up to my grandfather's reputation of what he expected out of a woman, a hardworking, honest, very stubborn, uh, tough as nails, very patient, you know, like Natty and TJ, you're talking about fishermen that followed Stu Hart's code and practice what you preach and kill people with kindness and not blindness. And, uh, you know, like TJ's mom has put him through some really tough situations because 
she has two kids that are his sisters and they're got, they have a million different things going on in their life, her life. And he keeps track of all of the hearts, all of his sisters, his dad, his mother, and basically the dad to everyone in the heart family now. And that's another thing that my grandfather passed on is somebody had to step up and take that crown as kind of being the Stu Hart of the next generation of family. And I think Tyson Kidd actually is the Stu Hart of the next generation for everybody. He was smart enough to play ball with everybody. He made friends with everybody. My grandfather was considered one of the nicest guys in the world and was friends with everybody. And Teddy Hart wasn't able to make that uh, same connection. But I, I think I made friends with all of the fans, but potentially alienated some of the boys or just I'm misunderstood. And over the years of getting to know guys better, that my name comes back into being something that, sure, I got arrested a few times for some bullshit, but I beat those charges. Or if it was something like that, was it was a misunderstanding, or it turns out I had what I had and I had my prescription set up and down the road it's acquitted or whatever the hell happened chances are I'm still getting back in the ring and chances are Tyson Kidd's still going to be one of the most respected people in WWE history. And Natalia is definitely the longest female running, I think in, in the WWE history. And uh, I think there's a few other people that I'm good friends with over the years that are going to at least, you know, be able to let me walk in a building and sit and watch my favorite thing, which is wrestling. Look at AEW. How amazing it's doing. They, they honored Bret Hart at their first show and had him carry the belt. That's back to Stu Hart again. And when the honor and tradition and pressure of being Stu Hart's grandson, you can imagine it's like a, it's a worldwide, it's a worldwide phenomenon, the Hart dungeon. And most people that study wrestling study history and they understand the history of how many guys my grandfather gave help to. It's not about giving a guy life in wrestling. It's giving a guy the opportunity to live his life in wrestling because you gave him time. And you fucking time's up to him. What he does with his time is the type of guy Stu Hart vouches for. That's the, where if you're smart, you vouch for somebody because you know the mark of the man before he really gets into the situation because you either fucking make it by going 100% right off the hop or he fucking are killed. So it's the right guy you put in the room that you know is going to be able to handle the race. I, I like that Stu always had the right racehorses in the fucking... Uh, you know, in the in the barn waiting, you know, to run the race. And then the guys that got to run the race, he knew ahead of time that they finished the race. I always knew Tyson Kidd would finish the race. I always knew Harry would finish the race. I always knew Jack Evans would finish the race. I was never sure I'd finish the race. That's why I never bet on myself. I bet on all those other guys. And that was something my grandfather was smart enough to teach me. If you don't get in yourself, don't fucking cry about it, but live through other people. And then you can make yourself fucking legendary because you're the one that gave those guys that initial push. And my grandfather gave me the push not to just be a promoter type of guy, but a wrestler type of guy. And then also a spokesman for the business of what peace is. And peace is truly wrestling, is dancing, is peace. It's a very violent, sadistic, crazy sport that's done to a masterpiece to barely even touch the guy if you can do it right. And that sends your fucking opponent, male or female, gay, black, white, and that next thing doesn't matter, home safely and you're professional. You can get up the next morning and make a fucking living making people clap and live in this amazing fantasy world called wrestling that my grandfather gave fucking 50, 60, 70 years of his life to. Yeah, for sure. Now, you mentioned being misunderstood and some misunderstandings. So what's what's been going on with you lately? What's kind of the, the deal, and what have you been up to? Uh, just Marie and I are still best friends. And just She's got her thing going with training, and she's got a, a certain type of regiment that she wants to get done. And I don't want to interfere at times if I find just for me it's better for someone to do six months of their type of thing and then they have a comparison of what we did and then what they did on their own and then they can come back and and then build something that works in the future because friendship something that I look at is the most valuable thing you have is your friendship really and your time free choices and your time and friendships are big time 
big time things for the rest of your life. And those are the things that are going to carry you on and surrounding yourself with the right people or if the relationship is off, being able to fix it and then carry on into a positive, ma- a positive manner and make something good happen in the future, which guarantees that you did learn from the past and that you were aware of the present, which was something that needs to change. And then you follow own heart's advice and then you, you change it. And then you, you take breath advice and you say, I'm the best there is, the best there was, and the best there ever will be. At every situation, I try to live my life to that standard where I want to do the best I can in every situation. And then the simple advice, like Hulk Hogan's advice, take your vitamins and say your prayers. It's like fucking right. It's time to eat and train and sleep and rest and stretch and get ready for this serious comeback because I have a lot of people that I owe good matches with because they made it. And all I want to see is just the potential of all the guys that I helped make it uh, come work for me in Canada <clears throat> or when I set up my own promotion again or I get opportunities to work with GCW or potentially with uh, Jersey All Pro might be coming back. I heard some rumors about that or even just small places like, you know, violence and suffering has got a big potential right now. And they got people like, you know, Action Bronson's looking into buying that product. And same thing with a few guys like Amazing Red's got Master P in there now, which is another really cool possibility. And, like, people just don't know. Indie wrestling could catch on. You get the right people. Disney might be buying WWE. Like, you never know how the wrestling business changes, why it's so valuable. It's so cool or it's so smart and so so important to be healthy and at this stage in good shape. And I'm in tremendous shape right now, and I think this is the best shape I've ever been in my life. And I was in jail really working out my working my ass off. And that, that's something like Maria and I just do the jail workout. She's got her workout. I have my workout. And we basically just we're in almost like a competition, a silent competition to ourselves to see who can get the leanest and the fastest. She's going to have bigger legs than me for sure. But at this stage, I have a lot better abs and a stronger core. But for a 23-year-old machine, she's going to be on her way. If she keeps doing the handstands and she's starting to do backflips and backhand springs and different things in the trampoline park once it opens, it's game over, dude. If she really starts doing gymnastic stuff, and she's running track and she's doing different types of exercises. And, you know, there's a potential schlack might get some new tattoos for her, which will even out her body a little bit in her eyes, which is a self-confidence thing. She gets a little a couple more things and that she has a different walk than, and a different type of uh, approach to life when she has more confidence. And that's the big thing in life is confidence. And it's just building confidence, building confidence, building confidence in anything you do for all the fans out there that I love you guys. Building confidence is baby steps. Watch the movie Groundhog Day, I think it is, or is it, uh, you know, it might be uh, some, uh, it's the other movie, something Bill. Uh, what about Bill? I think it is. And it's just another very smart movie. But if you take baby steps and things are, things are possible then. And you take every day for what it is, and it's a blessing to be alive. And, and really just take that type of motto and apply the small things like enjoying a nice meal and, and doing some exercises at home and do some meditation and some yoga and some stretching and take your dog out for a walk or, you know, enjoy petting your cat or brushing your cat. And, you know, most people don't have too extraordinary of pets, you know, exotic pets. If they got a snake or something, obviously, like enjoy the time you have with the things you love and enjoy because it's going to be back to normal eventually. And we're going to be all back to, to work, which will be cool until work becomes work again. Then it's going to suck and people are going to remember when this fucking coronavirus hit. And they're going to go, oh, I love that when we had all that time just to sit around our houses and, and fucking think about things. You know, and ask people to think about things at home and just think about how lucky we are to be on this planet Earth if we are able to beat this shit and get through it. That shows us how we all came together as a fucking world and we had something bad happen, but we came out of it as a positive and it should make everybody a lot happier. Maybe there'll be a Disney World in a few different countries now because we all fucking need a place to play and have fun and live our dreams and still be kids because this fucking crazy shit that just happened made everybody, I think, flash back and all of a sudden they're stuck at home with their kids realizing that now, fuck, you are what you eat. 
and you are what you preach, and you are what you raise the kids to be in the future. And if we're raising the kids to all be assholes, then fuck, we're fucked, dude. I think this next generation should be very smart and technologically advanced and very humble and aware of Mother Nature and Mother Earth and be kind of like a hippie mentality, but as a Star Wars, Star Trek type of technology where, you know, anything is possible almost with technology, but it also comes down to faith in God at the same time is keeping that balance. Now, you mentioned cats just for a second there. I just wanted to talk about that. You are a big cat lover. You love oh, cats. Yeah. Did he love did he get that from your grandfather as well? I know he was a yeah, big cat lover. Yeah, absolutely. And I think from TJ and Natty and me and uh, when we were kids, Harry and Georgia and Diana really loved cats. And Ellie's might be the biggest cat lover ever. My aunt Ellie and my mom they really love cats. They're like obsessed with them and like. I kind of collected them. I love cats, but I was a big dog guy. People don't realize I collected dogs for a while. I loved dogs, and I was training pit bulls and doing stuff with the police with dog training, with trying to see what other dogs could do training, like police training to see if a Tosa Inu, a Japanese Mastiff, was able to do the same type of stuff as a German Shepherd, even though it's heavier, to see how it would participate in these certain certain drills and certain things or exercises or, or types of experiments that the cops would do with the dogs that they were training to do certain types of work, you know, and how strong each dog's nose was or how high they could jump or and we wanted to do a tv show on it a few times and uh got all the dogs together i got a cane corso and a pressa canaria and i got two rottweilers from germany at different bloodlines i got like a mega head pit bull from california and i got a couple different red noses and i was going all out with it i got a husky and it was like a big deal for me to get all these different types of dogs and like it was supposed to be you know a, a a great idea, but you don't realize how much work dogs are. And I had them all in my house. I had like six dogs in my house at the same time, all big masters, all unfixed. And like, it was, uh, it was such a, it's such a headache with cleaning up the shit in the yard was the big deal because it was not only the five dogs, it was or six dogs. It was a bunch of cats too. So the litter and the dog shit, that kind of put a, a different spin on what a zookeeper had to actually do or take care of these because it's big dogs shitting too and like but they never fought spca came over a few times to have coffee and talk to me because i wanted to be on the up and up with them about having these types of dogs in the house that we weren't dog fighting or anything and that the cats were safe in the house with the dogs because i had a cattery at the same time but the dogs were all raised with the cats so but eventually my dogs all got kind of taken away from me at different times. Like I would be on the road for a few months doing stuff on the road and or I'd be doing stuff in California with medical marijuana grow ups. And sometimes you got to stay down there a lot longer to get your money out of situations. And it's 50, 50 legal kind of, and you're selling to a dispensary and you're waiting for a co-op to pay you. But at the same time, it's like, you're not able to take care of your dogs for a few months. And then people get attached to taking care of the dog. And they're like, Oh, I got the dog at the house for the last two months. You mind if I just keep him? You're on the road. And it's like, sure, I guess just keep the dog and bring him back. You know, and then they end up keeping the dog for eight months. I can't ask for the dog back. The dog likes them now. So it's like a few times my dad, the dog, one of my dogs, two of them jumped up on somebody and, uh, by accident while well, on a bike path, but the guy flipped out and my dad was worried about a lawsuit is right before he was selling his property for a lot of money. And he's like, take the two Rottweilers to a farm. I never saw them again. And it's like another one of my dogs, uh, someone claimed that the dog growled at it or something showed its teeth. So I came home like a couple of days later and someone had euthanized this poor pit bull of mine that was like seven years old. And he was a family dog and it was like a fucking bad prank. Some piece of shit pulled and they got the dog taken out of their of the house saying it was dangerous and that they ended euthanized it. And that was another like terrible thing. So and I know the question was regarding cats, but my grandfather loved animals in general and I love animals in, in, in all capacities, but cats are my favorite because dogs were my favorite. But after losing a few dogs, the dogs are so close to you 
say that I had these dogs with me all the time. They'd sleep in my bed. They'd stay with me everywhere, come everywhere with me with the cats. So I would train them together. And it was just, it, it was a lot sadder for me. I Cats, for some reason, I, I get terribly upset with losing a cat, but for some reason, the dogs felt closer and it hurt me more. So I just isolated getting dogs for a while. And I just started really getting heavy into the cats after that. And that was like when I got, I used to have about 12 cats at that time all the time. I still had 12 when I had the dogs. And then I got into like 35, 40 cats. And then I had 40 cats in my house. Wow. And I had Mancoons, I had Persians, I had Norwegian forest cats. I did a mix of all three. And then I would do something with the Siamese, ringtail, uh, sphinx. It was like a special kind of sphinx cat that I had one of those. And then I was trying to get into doing shit with the hairless ones, but they just, it, was, it wasn't going to work because when you breed a hairless cat with a fur cat, a Persian, I was trying to get like a flat-faced uh, hairless cat, but it just it didn't, the genetics from what we were told wasn't going to work out, that it was like a weird mix. And it was, so it wasn't something I wanted to spend too much time doing. Because once you bring one new breed of cat in the house, it fucks up the purebred breed you have with the Persians because you got to keep your Persians all separated. If you're going to do a mixed breed, you have to tell the people ahead of time you're doing a mixed breed because they might like the look of the cat, but it's not an authentic Persian cat then. And you could get in shit or ruin your, ruin your reputation of selling certain types of cats. You could sell them as something they're not, you know what I mean? Yep, absolutely. It's a big deal with buying purebred Rottweiler. You buy a Rottweiler and it's a piece of shit. You buy it online and you get a dog that's not even close and you pay $2,000 for it. I'm going to be fucking pissed off. Same thing with getting a Persian. I get a Persian that's supposed to be like an exotic Persian with a flat face and I get like a semi-long-haired cat with a big nose. I know that's not a Persian. Like Tyson Kidd pays $3,000 for his cat, each one or more. They're really, really expensive, but he gets the best colors he wants. He gets the best Persian breeder. Like, I'm one of the top breeders out there, but they're on even maybe a, a higher level than even me, the lady that Tyson Kid deals with in Italia. And, like, they're, they're – they, TJ, his cats are like dogs. They listen so well, and, like, they're just so calm. And Maddie, she's just one of the people with animals in general because just we've had a lot of animals over the years, a lot of dogs and cats, but they just have a certain touch about them. They're like angels. And you can just tell all the animals are around, like my grandfather and Ellie. Ellie feeds feral cats still, like 30 different feral cats. And she goes out and feeds all these crazy cats and takes care of them. And they're so smart, these cats. They know from, like, a block away that it's her car. And how the fuck they know with a bunch of traffic and cars, all these cars moving at the same time. I watched these motherfuckers four days in a row come outside, and they knew it was Ellie from her driving up in the car. No music on, nothing. They could sense her from a block and a half away. And she came at different times every time. I was like, this is crazy. I wonder how smart animals are. Maria was talking about this in a podcast, I think, recently in one of her vlogs about just how smart animals are. Maybe they're a lot smarter than we are, even in some capacity. And it's like, you know, it just gives you something to think about. Because I always think God's watching you, and he might be watching you right through the animals. You know, it can be the smallest thing like an ant. And you stomp on an ant for no fucking reason, and that's death. You're still killing something. There's no reason to kill it if you can avoid it. Obviously, accidents happen. But if you can avoid killing something, why would you ever want to kill anything at all? I didn't make any life. I'm not a woman on top of that, so I should definitely not be killing shit. You know, and like just mm -hmm. to me, again, if I got off subject, it's just like it comes back to animals and love and respect. And my grandfather is one of those guys that that was the thing he installed in his family. And then we install that in everybody we kind of walk around and talk to. At the end of the day, that's always been my message is to make guys look good, to have great matches, to be nice to people outside the ring, to invite people to my house, to be able to put a good meal in front of them and enjoy a good meal and a conversation and a few laughs and maybe a beer and a future potentially that I can tell them that I really think just by me meeting them, I'm going to give them a blessing because their blessing, the blessing that I'm going to give them is going to make them bless 20 other people because that's the type of human being they are, that they'll take something good for me and that good experience they had with me 
uh, propels them into the future to have many other good experiences with other people because it's like getting fucked over and then after that you ask somebody else to ask you for help and you're mad still because you just got fucked over it might send a chain reaction off where instead of the young bucks getting fucking a million bucks a year or 10 million bucks in the future and a bunch of stuff I was sniffing them and I was an asshole to them and I told them they sucked or I tried to hurt them in the ring because I thought I was a grizzled old vet and it was fun to be sniff on guys because they were new or something or and maybe they didn't get to where they needed to be because a few people were negative at the beginning instead of I could always say I was positive with all these guys. They can name 20 fucking guys from Sammy Guevara to Marco Stunt to fucking Darby Allen to Jack Evans to the Young Bucks to Pentagon and Phoenix to Luchasaurus to Jungle Boy to, you know, there's like a, just a ton of different guys that could go into the Ring of Honor thing and just say, hey, I remember Tarzan Boy, a guy that said, this guy's really good, Rush. And then all of a sudden I saw Rush, and then Rush is all of a sudden world champion or PCO. I had a match with him. It was phenomenal. And he was so cool. And he was one of fucking Brett's biggest fans. He loved Brett so much and remembered the match and all the stuff Brett did for him back in the day. And like, to me, those are guys, and that's the way wrestling lives forever, and that's the way I kind of get to, I think, walk through different types of situations and still get out of it with respect and get out of it alive because I really went out of my way to make sure the relationships I had and the 5, 10, 15 minutes I had to spend with those people was intimate and it was kind and it was nice and it was respectful and it was humble. And that, that's, again, the mark of a man and a person that came from the dungeon. That's the code. Even Benoit, as crazy as they said he was at the end of that 30-second one fucking thing he did wrong on earth, if it even happened, I don't know the fucking circumstances of it, but if that happened and the rest of his life, he lived like a fucking angel, like a gentleman, like a real, and that was because he trained within the fucking hard dungeon. He knew who my grandfather was. My grandfather said Chris Benoit was his favorite student ever, but that was the guy he liked the most because of the way he lived his life and walked around the ring with an intensity, but a certain calmness and coolness and humbleness outside the ring that made him fucking untouchable, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Now, as far as you breaking in, obviously it's in your blood. You're going to be breaking in. You, you know, you start off, basically you said 25 years you've been wrestling, which is crazy to think because, you know, you're really not that old, really, in, in the grand yeah. team thing. But breaking in, you're wrestling in Canada. You're going along. You become the youngest guy ever signed to WWE and, and basically around 1998, that era there. Is that just almost too soon or you're too oh, young? Yeah. And, you know what it, I mean? It was way too soon. It allowed me to buy – a lot of medical marijuana equipment and do things in California uh, before everyone else got into these businesses. It gave me a leg up. So that money turned into something great. But for me at the same time, it was a sign of being good enough physically, I guess, or not even physically, I guess talent. If you can say talent wise, I had enough moves and I knew the business aspect of wrestling, how to sell and make guys look good. And I was, you know, the, the potential was there but I didn't have a fucking clue what the commitment was about being alone on the road in a locker room and getting from show to show to show after the show and then being able to go to sleep at night after the fucking excitement of having a few of these wild days. And just, just I didn't realize trying to put yourself to sleep after staying up and then putting yourself back to sleep and then that shit, I had no idea how to do it. You got to train your body for it. That's why I give like hey I think as much as I want to say certain things like the Rock and Cena those guys are fucking beasts dude their schedule like I heard the Miz is a fucking beast like I heard Ric Flair was a beast they never miss flights like they always they can figure out how to get up and get it done and that was something I struggled with was the sleep part and I'm a big marijuana guy especially back then I was smoking a lot of weed to deal with the death of my brother and to deal with the death of my best friend and to deal with the fear of just being scared in general of death because I had death around me and being scared of going to jail and 
uh, for, for selling weed back in the day or, or to be hanging out with fucking bikers and crazy shit. And just, they, I was, I wasn't living a smart, I wasn't really living a smart style of life, but I was desperate and I didn't have a lot of choices at that stage. I was, I was really scared uh, of just the size difference with a lot of the guys there. And, but you can't, you can't show fear and you got to go up there and try to put your best face on. And uh, I did really good for a, a few months and Bruce Pritchard, I, I kind of was mad at him for years. And then I looked at it and I said, both times, I think that if the WWE had used me uh, based on what the situation was with Brett the first time and the second time is that it wouldn't have been fun to be there. It wouldn't have been fun to be there. And I would have rather lived my life doing what I did for fucking seven or eight years, which is just having a really, really good time on the planet. And, uh, meeting a lot of hot girls and traveling the world and driving a really fucking just uh, in a an arraignment a rain of different cars that were fucking amazing cars and just that was something like people have to realize to drive a nice car for a year every single day for six to eight hours a day and just like get to cruise around in four or five different vehicles and that's a dream I didn't have to work so I was blessed for all those years just to preserve myself and wrestle a few times a month and take bookings and stuff but the life I lived back in smoke you know an ounce or two a weed a day at the times where I was able to do this and it was just like I smoked and smoked and smoked and just, I, I loved life. And that was what I got to do. And I, I can thank, thank my ex-wife for allowing me to live that life. And I can thank all the people that bought cats off me and that supported me. And I can thank my dad for investing my money when I was young. The WWE money that they gave me, again, allowed me to live this life for all these different years behind the scenes. People always wondered how I survived and what I did. And I ran a wrestling school and did the mat rats. And, you know, I was always an entrepreneur with different types of businesses. And people just don't know how I survive. I don't talk to Maria about my business. I don't talk to too many people about my business ever because marijuana to me is still a federally illegal business. It's still, and I'm getting fucked right now for marijuana. So it's like at the end of the day, as much as I want to glorify it and talk about it in, in a certain way and then give myself the big salute for being one of the guys on the forefront of marijuana for the world to really take it seriously. And like different people I know and politicians I've talked to and doctors I've talked to and lawyers I've done stuff with and lobbyists that I've worked with and you know, different people on High Times Magazine that behind the scenes, Teddy Hart did his, she paid his dues and I did my thing and I made sure everyone knew marijuana was something that helped you out and it was something safe as an alternative to watching everyone in your family fucking die and a whole business get killed from cocaine, alcohol and opiates and then watch them try to blame it on steroids when it wasn't steroids at all. I don't think fucking at all. It was painkillers, alcohol and stress and loneliness and shitty travel schedules. And the fucking stuff the boys have to go through breaks you mentally. And that's again, goes back to the pressure and goes back to the fucking WWE at 18 years old. I had no fucking clue how to live my life, nor did I want to be on the road four days a week. And I'd never even had sex with a girl at that stage. I was still a virgin when I was 18 years old. I ended up going and I, people don't want to hear this. Some of it is the truth. I go to a massage parlor when I was 18 years old. And when I was in WWE, when I first got my contract, because I, I was that naive to how even girls worked and pussy at all. Like, so it's like, again, just like, I'm very, I'm one of those guys that usually says everything I need to say because it's the truth. And maybe it's not sometimes uh, politically correct, but at the end of the day, I'd rather think that guy was straight shooting with me instead of bullshitting me when it's supposed to be a shoot. You want to hear bullshit? Go watch fucking Game of Thrones and watch fantasy stuff where dragons are blowing fire. And, but I remember when my uncle died, Owen, he didn't get to come back like Jon Snow. He fucking stayed dead, you know, and fucking I watched Davy Boy's son have to fucking clean up the fucking mess and deal with the stress and then have to get up and watch his mom fucking, you know, go through a ton of stress and a ton of different types of depression. And he had to carry his family up and make sure that him and TJ still were accountable when WWE tested him and 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 beat him down and 
that he still got up and fucking had enough strength to get on the airplane and go to Japan and come back a bigger, stronger, more dangerous fucking machine. You know, and I still think Harry's going to get his chance to really kick the shit out of a few guys in MMA and show people that Harry, I think Harry is the best MMA crossover wrestler potentially ever. I think, would, I think he would give Brock Lesnar a fight for his fucking life. I'm betting my money on Harry Smith personally, just saying, and that's no diss on Brock Lesnar. Brock Lesnar's a fucking king. But it just there's certain guys I think Harry just has a certain style and has all the same size and weight, but he kicks a lot better and fucking... I think his strikes are going to be a lot tighter and his chokes and shit are fucking all from Billy Robinson, you know, snake pit stuff. But, you know, what the fuck do I know? I've only been in wrestling for 25 years or 26 years and I've had, I think, (laughs) the best matches with the the most different guys in the world. That's my other thing. I think I've had the best matches with the most different guys in the world now because it's not just me in the fucking ring. It's not saying I'm the best. It's saying the guys I've worked in the ring during that time, that was some of the best stuff they've ever done with me. And I know if you have good stuff in the fucking one match, guess what it does? gives you fucking confidence to do good shit in the future. And that goes back to having a positive fucking day with a guy instead of a shitty day. And Kevin Nash is one of those guys that says he had a positive day with me, told a few other people. And then I got to start meeting some of the upper echelon people in wrestling. And a lot of them said, you don't even need a job. You have more fun doing what you do and you're more relevant. And guys still talk about you all the time. And you're a fucking legend on the internet, which is hard to do. And nobody's ever put any real money behind you. You just kept this mystique going on your own because you really are nice to fans. And it's so rare to find someone that's so nice to fans that's been so fucking swerved and talked about on the internet like I'm some kind of fucking bad guy. And I've never seen rappers get fucked over for getting charged for weed or drug charges. They actually are talking about way worse shit, yet everybody's cheering for that rapper. He's talking about murdering guys or slanging fucking crack or killing his fucking brother or all this crazy shit. I talk about a few negative things once in a blue moon and people are fucking acting like I'm the devil or something like that. It's like, yeah, I think just listening to rap music for me, listening to the guys like Akon did a song called Sorry, You Can Blame Me and it's I think or something along those lines and it's like, no shit, I've taken the blame for a lot of stuff when I really think wrestling fans that met me will say Teddy Hart was the nicest guy they ever met. And I don't give a fuck what some person hiding behind the screen says on the computer at home. And Nightwave, again, I want to have you come fucking talk to me. You come talk to me on my show where I talk, I'm going to ask you a few questions and then you talk to me. And you tell me some stuff and we could just chat. I'm not, I don't care about the stress or the fighting. If we end up getting an argument because two guys want to argue, that's fucking entertainment. But, you know, that's the thing. I go back to all these different people. I said, all these guys hide behind shit. If you got something to say about Teddy Hart, say it to my fucking face. Put your name out there and say it with your face and let me talk to you about it and ask you a few questions after we have a debate. And if I can give you a reason or rationale of what I was thinking or the situation or what it was pertaining to, and then ask me again why I'm so well-spoken because the truth is the truth. And I remember the truth vividly because I have a great memory because there's certain drugs you can do and get away with doing for a fucking long time. And be smart. And there's other drugs you don't try once, ever. And that's why I'm alive. A lot of you other guys understand there's certain things you did in your careers or you people fucking can hide behind certain types of, uh, you know, smiles or, you know, but you know in the back of your mind what you did that made you fucking change and made you weak and, and affected your faith in God or your faith in yourself or the reflection you had in the mirror. You know, and I still, I still make a lot of money in this business in the future by signing autographs and hugging people because they love me because when they met me before, they go on what they actually had happened, which is substance. Substance is what? Time. And time is spent with somebody. Then, yeah, make a decision on that type of person because you spent time with them. But if I've never spent time with you and I don't know you, you think I should make a decision about you, sir? Right. 
you know. Yep. And I'm sorry if I talk too much again, but this is one of those ones where I think it's like set the standard right now for what Teddy Hart's going to be talking about in my channel and the code of how I live my life. I get it fucking straight, and you can then come on to my shows because I'm going to be doing a podcast soon. You know, and I think I'm going to have David Benoit on the podcast potentially. So, and he's a great guy and a very smart kid. And I'm talking about the Owen Hart thing is coming up very soon. What's the Owen Hart? Uh, the what is it called? The, the special? Dark Side of the Ring. Yeah, Dark Side of the Ring. And they did a fantastic job on the specials that I've seen. Jericho did a really nice job. I think he's one of the narrators for the company, isn't he? Yes, correct. Yeah, he does a great job with that stuff. Jericho's so fucking smart, man. That's one of the smartest guys you'll ever fucking meet in the business. Especially on the mic, you know, just fucking different level memory. But yeah, just uh, that's a big thing for us is to get some of these types of people on and let them express their opinion about what they did after death in the positive way and how they came through death and made something of, of their lives. Like Chris Benoit dying is fucking terrible, but his son getting back up and wanting to get into wrestling is fucking poetic and motivational mm-hmm. and passionate. Yep. a passionate story to me, and it's something I really want to see, and hopefully everyone gets kind of behind him and makes it fun and, and accessible for him to get in and out of the places that his dad made so fucking so cool for us to be respected as that type of athlete because he was respected on a world scale as an athlete by other athletes. Ben was just that elite, and I think it kind of gave people, uh, you know, uh, we'll say – a certain image of what a really serious wrestler looked like. And he looked like a, a fucking killer, you know, and shredded all the time and just a machine. So David's got some work to do, but I think if anyone could do it, I think David Benoit has got the right brain. He's stayed positive over all these years. He's never let, I've never seen him with a poo-poo face or upset or sulking or, you know, oh, always me or this happened and this happened. And he's always making a positive of it. He's always nice to everybody. And you got to remember how many people he knows. How many people has David Benoit met in the back, you know, when his dad brought him around all those years, for sure, you know. He's a very smart kid, and he's kept a great relationship with WWE and AEW. So, you know, just kind of things I'm looking forward to doing in my future, and hopefully it happens for me. And, you know, I wish Maria all the best of luck with her her vlogs and her, her I guess, her six months of training because we have kind of a six-month break where we're going to do our own thing, and she's got a, a group of instructions that she's going to follow that are kind of common-sense things we learned. Don't, don't smoke cigarettes, don't drink alcohol, and don't eat pork. And to uh, do her abs every day and her core and her handstand, and to hit the bag still and do the pad work really, and the rest of it's up to her. She's smart enough to get as big as she got without my help. So now she's going to do most of the stuff on her own with some of my tricks and secrets and see how she does. And that's the fun of kind of my, of the way I train with people, you know. It's not about mm-hmm. what you do when you're with me, it's what you do when you're away from me. Right. Now, you said serious comeback. Is there any thought in your mind? Because I know you've been in FCW. You've been signed to WWE a few times. You've been in OVW. Any serious thought about a comeback to WWE? Absolutely. I, and I may end up even going to a rehab program just for the marijuana, even though I don't really smoke much anymore. That's one of the things that I had said. If I'm going to go into a program, I'd like to be able to go into the rehab program one more time for 30 days and just walk through it and just have a nice little break and stretch and kind of, and they can see where I'm at and test my levels and see everything. And then if I decided, if I was blessed with an opportunity to work there, then I could pay the fine if I wanted to for the marijuana. And I'd have testosterone replacement and I'd have everything set up with my prescriptions. And uh, then I could really, you know, make a run for it. See how good I can get, see how big I can get, see how, you know, see if I can go back to gymnastics and learn the double backflip that Ricochet doesn't want to do it anymore. That's why he did it first. So there's a jacket and two, there's a few things I'd like to do at least once in wrestling or be in WWE. And they may say, don't worry about these big, big moves. You already do enough now, but I still want to get better. 
I really think like training my core now and healing my spine and doing a lot more stuff with stretching and like different psychology and working shoot holds into different types of spots. And like, I have a whole new style of wrestling that I've been watching my wrestling. And if you can watch and think how tedious, you know, and how small the details I keep track of small footwork and different things, like, you know, just like everybody's chopping people. Like I'd like to see guys catch a chop into an arm bar or catch a chop, like after catching it off the chest, but maybe quick into like a fucking, you know, a triangle choke, even though know, the guy chopping, you don't even see it, but the guy chops you and all of a sudden you catch him in a triangle choke right after, like just different things after pins where guys are pinning you and they're sloppy, but right after a pin, you hook them into a submission or after a, after a move, you hit a big move, it's right into a submission and then into a falsy right away combos, different things. And it's like, there's uh there's really just so many good wrestlers out there. I was watching a few guys in ring of honor and the last show I was there, and there was a British kid, uh, fuck, I'm trying to, and this is terrible, I, I'm the worst with fucking names sometimes, like I remember, but he's got long hair, uh, new kid, I don't know, do you watch Ring of Honor? Is it uh, Haskins, Mark Haskins? Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly, fuck, he's so good, he does all these little combos and different in-between stuff, and like, he was wrestling, and he was, I think he was, I'm trying to think who he was wrestling, he was wrestling uh, Alex Shelley, I think. I think it was Shelly. I mean, I might have been two different matches that I was watching, but just the way that each one of them, they were so good about the way their footwork was and their placement and stuff. And, like, you could tell the guys have been doing their homework. Like, the Briscoes are always top-notch. Rush was top-notch. His brother, both of those Mexican kids that came in were fucking guys I met before for me, too. And, like, they're just, they're on another level. And, like, promoting, promoters are starting to get smart on who to book. Dave Sabalski's got a fucking genius mind. He's the... He's like a fucking hawk like I am. He'll spot talent like Conan before the guy's even really done shit that Gabe's already got him or Conan's already got him or he's already watching him. He just knows, you know, you watch enough wrestling to know who's going to be the next guy based on certain characteristics or certain things or certain types of movement or whatever, attitude or vibe or all those combinations, you know, put into a certain type of package. You just know that guy's going to be next. And that's something I always think is instead of being worrying about myself, I'm worrying about who's fucking next. And eventually I'm going to have so many guys that made it that I would fucking, then it's me. I can finally ask and go, Hey, am I next? Because 40 guys go, fuck. Yeah, dude, we all got in this, you know, we all got in this, we'll say mindset that anything was possible because we watched this skinny fucking 180 pound guy do a backflip off the 25 feet and he landed on me like a feather. And I watched him kick the shit out of my brother and I, and I never had a scratch on me. Some guys wrestle me, I hit them so hard without touching them. And they look at me and they go, I forgot to even sell because you hit me so fucking hard without touching me because you hit yourself and the way you made contact, but you didn't actually touch me. Like, you touched me enough to know, but I didn't even know what to sell. I'm like, well, that's the true master now. I've gotten that good that I can barely touch somebody. I think that's the next level of, like, when you're really stiff. I, I got to a point where I was kind of stiff and I snug, and then snug became so fucking accurate that you can hit a guy with now with the fingertips and look like you killed him. And, like, fucking Maria's stiffing me with shots, and she's throwing a good shot, and it's nice. It looks good, but it's stiff. It's a little stiff. And then I'm able to hit you fucking same thing right in the face, and I don't touch you. And she's like, fuck, you know, I said, that's where you got to get to, that level, because I really understand what Shawn Michaels and some of these Nash and, like, all these guys were saying, like, for every shot you take is an extra shot on your body. If you can be that solid and make it look that good and you don't even fucking touch me really at all, and you can get away with it, and it's that, you know what I mean? There's a measuring stick. I'm talking shoot shit. I mean, it looks like you're fucking killing the guy. My shit better look like it's killing the guy. And if I can do that without really touching it, I'm taking a lot less miles off your fucking car. And I think that puts miles onto my future because that's just how God works and karma works. 
And I think that's the only reason I got out of jail all these times. And I've somehow managed to land on my feet and I can make a comeback. And when I say I'm going to make another one, and this one's going to be the all-time fucking greatest comeback ever, and people are going to go, yeah, I bet Teddy Hart comes back in fucking shape, tremendous shape. He's got nothing to do with sitting in the house and do push-ups. That motherfucker goes to jail and he eats and fucking sleeps and trains in jail. He doesn't fuck around and get high and get on painkillers in jail or get on fucking antidepressants. Jail's a fucking pill factory for a bunch of fucking guys, a lot of them, county jail, especially a bunch of pussies that just want to hide in jail and don't want to face life. And they're just sitting there on dead time waiting and they're not doing anything specific to get themselves out either because they're getting three free meals in a fucking bed. They don't have to work. But for me, I don't need to be in jail fucking sleeping. I go to jail to fucking, I hate to say it, to get peace of mind for a little while and fucking then train, train, train and get my brain straight and fucking remember what the fucking four-hour workout is, five-hour workout is a day. I'm just trying to get back to it now. You know, just getting that three hours in, two hours in, you really start to notice a difference in your body. And I'm, I'm, I'm fucking just in that mindset right now where I'm eating a really clean diet. But this is the leanest I've been in years. This is the biggest I've been in years. I haven't taken any real pictures of myself because it's kind of one of those things where I want fans to see kind of when Teddy Hart comes out, this next YouTube vlog session, season two for Teddy Hart, uh, Unfiltered Adventures without Maria. Because Maria's got her fucking shit. She's going to show the world what type of fucking animal she is and what she does with hard work and training and isolation. That's when one of her specialties, she's been isolated a lot for these years and she sometimes thinks she's better isolated. And that might be her, that might be one of her secrets is to do some isolation training. And then she has people that she can always go call and go see when she needs to have company, but to be stuck with people, I don't think certain animals are not good with other animals. If you know what I mean, like jaguars are isolated animals. They, they don't, they're not good with other animals. The snow leopard mates and then it doesn't see its mate for another three to five years or something like that you know i hate to sound like that but black widow spiders they kill their fucking husbands off i don't want to become a black widow spider that maria fucking killed i want to become somebody that we fucking helped work together got to a level of excellence on each other's fields mine's not just wrestling mine's documentaries mine's promoting mine's finding the next guy and finding the next mma fight and being a promoter in mma and wrestling and boxing you know my grandfather did all these things or his friends did all these things these are things i want to do and by telling people and now i'm putting it out there to the universe i hope assholes aren't running around trying to fucking stop me from doing these types of things i hope people just say you know what at the end of the day let teddy hart do what he's gonna do if i end up fucking dead or in jail then so be it if i end up on top of the fucking world because karma is a fucking son of a bitch and i have pretty good karma because i've been pretty nice to a lot of sons of bitches on the fucking planet and a lot of people cry and act like maybe i gave them some kind of bad treatment it's like fucking please you're either jealous upset and pissed off that you're not back in my house hanging out with me now that's why you're upset and that's why you're shit disturbing and that's why you're jealous and you have shit to say because you fucking wish you were here with me and some of my friends like that's where they're they're at right now and i'll say this out to hannibal too like hannibal i watched that match i had with uh blood warrior or whatever it was fucking that match i tried to make sure you look great and put you over huge and always talked positive about you and went out and did that shoot interview with melina and you or whatever it was or you and me and fucking some fucking shoot interview on my house which you can ask me a few loaded questions and got me shit later with, but I didn't care. I still was cool. And then I've asked them to respond back to me on the fucking, uh, on the Hannibal TV about doing an interview with two guys about the shit situation that happened with me getting arrested, which is a fucking joke and totally blown out of proportion and fucking made me look like an asshole. But at the end of the end of the day, I come out looking like a fucking winner on the other end of it because people heard my name and they associated my name with something. And then more they, more they, more they hear, the more they, more they, more they see, the more they fucking realize they go, ah, fucking good guy, great wrestler. It's all I can really see. Evidence is there, 
when you look closely, and most people that are making decisions on judging somebody now should have at least five minutes to look close enough to go, ah, that sounds like bullshit. That sounds like publicity. That sounds like hype. It sounds like they were working the system or everybody was fucking stupid enough to fall for it. But actually, the real truth was I was completely fine, or I was the one pulling the strings behind the scenes to make it happen like that. And that was one of the ones where I wasn't pulling the strings on, and other people tried to pull the strings and act like they had some fucking power and control, and you pull a fucking gun on somebody, it's pretty stupid to do. And fuck, it's a long road back after that. And fucking, you're in a situation where, sure, you're in a position of power when you have a gun like that, but you lost a friend in me that just wants to work with you. And hopefully maybe that Ace Montana comes back and ends up being cool. And John Johnson, who was really nice to me, another guy, not a bad guy at all. And that probably did mess up his house a bit, but I also have a picture of his house when it was all finished. And after I finished it all, I put everything in the proper places and it looked really nice and it was set up for me to live there. They don't show that picture. They just show the picture of his house being trashed. And it's like, that wasn't quite the right story. You know, there's always a second story and there's always two sides to every story. And I ask people to have, again, to have the time and patience if they're going to make a decision on someone to look at both sides of the story and make a an, an open, honest, open-minded opinion of it. And then from there, allow that guy to fucking uh, maybe you know, have a few different situations to see if you continue to see that guy as a good guy because he probably is because he's saying he is. Now he's got to back it up, you know, and I don't mean to ramble on to you. I'm just, again, giving you my, my code. So everything after this point, I hope people realize just like I, I really want peace and love and I want fun and I want to interview people that want to have a good time and I want fans to be able to come onto my show and come into my house and come into my ring and uh, really experience getting to know a professional wrestler that believes I can kill myself in the ring for your fucking love and affection and time and you guys will keep me safe. And I got 25 years of really fucked up crazy shit that I've done that you fans have kept me safe from. I don't know there's any other reason besides God and you guys of why I'm still alive or why I'm walking and why so many other guys are dead or in wheelchairs from doing a lot less than I did physically. Yep. And for sorry, sure. The truth though, but you know, watch the fucking tapes. I should be dead or in a wheelchair but somehow I'm completely fine. And that's the same with Jack Evans and a lot of other guys that really killed it, killed it, killed it in the ring because there's something about killing it in the ring that fans know, just like a boss knows, if you work really hard at work and you're like the hardest working guy and you're doing all this shit nobody's really watching, but somehow you believe that there's an invisible force that's keeping score. And all of a sudden, fucking, you realize the most important thing you have is you're fucking walking straight and you have fucking, you know, you're, you still have your vision and your back's not fucked up and you're able to go shake hands and walk around and you're healthy. And then you realize your health and wellness is no matter how much money you have, if you're in a fucking wheelchair, it doesn't matter. You know, what True. if he gave dynamite 10 million bucks? Would it have changed his leg getting cut off? Would it, would it have healed his liver? Right. Give Benoit an extra 50 million. Was he, is he still fucking crazy at the end of it? Cause he was depressed cause his body's breaking down or whatever the story was. Like, fuck, I'm telling you, man, it's peace of mind and being healthy. You know, and that's the thing. If you're healthy, and I know a ton of guys right now that followed my code and played video games and smoke pot, and that was about it, you know. I fucking got a wife and stuck with her. I always am the first guy to preach about having a wife and not cheating on your wife and being a good guy and staying with your wife. I've introduced a lot of guys to their wives, you know. I'm not going to name drop too much, but Natalia has met Tyson Kid through me. Jack Evans met his wife through me. Morrison met Kira. Pretty sure I brought her in. She was fucking one of the sweetest people you'll ever meet in this business. You know, pretty sure I gave Callisto a really good piece of advice that he should go home and marry his wife as fast as he can. That's the keeper. He told me some stories of how awesome she was, and fucking he ended up going home and marrying her about a week later. Took my advice. You know, there's a few other couples I say, like, fuck, I introduced them. They're still together. I know a guy from 
fucking the movie industry married a girl from Homeland Security that I fucking introduced him and it's just like I can go on and on and on about all these people I've introduced myself to and in life and then I introduce them to somebody else and they're so fucking smart because they're my friends it's hard to get through my fucking fence to really get in behind the scenes with me and to get to know what I really do and all the people I know and a lot of the people I know are cops and lawyers and gangsters and if you fuck around with cops you're dead and you fuck around with lawyers you're in jail and if you fuck around with gangsters your fucking family's fucked not just you you know, so I had to be held accountable for a lot of information that people trusted me with for 30 fucking years, basically, you know, and a lot of cops that gave me their identity that are undercover that are fucking really smart dudes that fucking make a lot of money in this world because the money's not fucking actual cash money. It's awareness. So they make money for the world because they're aware and they make other people aware because a smart dog, monkey see, monkey do, creates another smart dog. And the smarter fucking dogs we are on this planet, the better the fucking cats are going to treat us. And that's the women. And again, it goes back to the women on this fucking planet run the earth. And women are a big thing to me. And taking care of women and taking care of my responsibility to let Maria do her thing and show everybody that she fucking could never needed my help or the heart name to do fuck all. She was she did everything on her own. Every match I ever seen her. Everything she ever did was all based on her own hard work. Never asked for a fucking name or, or a connection. But she subconsciously wore pink and black for fucking five years of her career. You know, I'm fucking damn proud of what she did. And I'm proud of how hard she worked and how much she did on her own. And then with me, getting to keep me out of jail and to get me back on the street and to give me a fighting chance to get a house. I get a place tomorrow, a new house here in Virginia. And it's like my fucking finally I have a new house here. And I'm going to be training and I have a few friends coming up and I'm working on social media on all aspects of social media right now. Every, every capacity, Twitter, Facebook fucking Instagram. I'm trying to get on there and talk to promoters and talk to the people and actually comment back to you guys and let you know I fucking love you. Thanks for keeping me alive, man. I would be fucking nothing without your memories, without your thoughts, without your positive stories, without you guys really remembering what I did and how I did it and then being honest enough to give me back that I fucking story. And I listened, I go, exactly. I remember that guy. I remember that guy. I remember that guy. Those are all moments in my life that I remember clearly being a good person and I didn't care about getting the reward, but it's sure nice that it fucking actually counted and I get to see all these people on Facebook saying thanks to me and it fucking brings a tear to my eye that people were actually grateful because I, I sometimes read the wrong shit and you forget how many people you actually touch because you're reading the wrong stuff and sometimes negativity has a different type of power and sometimes you'll say if you'll hear 10 really good things but then one shitty thing will fucking ruin your day and I want it to be the other way around where you could hear 10 shitty things but one good thing makes your day better and I always have one good thing to say which is this is a beautiful fucking planet and we're all brothers and sisters, and we need to stick together to make this place a better place. And we can all have flying cars in the future and fucking beautiful zoos everywhere and be visiting the fucking world because the water is clean, the air is clean, and everything's solar power, you know? And they're fucking the whole world basically wealthy. Everyone's got enough money to be rich and famous because you got YouTube and your own fucking ability to make your own channel. Anyone can be anybody now, and anybody can be a star. Yeah, definitely. And you are making this comeback. You are serious about it. But throughout the 25 years, you've definitely been one of the best workers for sure. I mean, people can't forget that. Can't forget the innovation. Can't forget a lot of the positive things you did. Like you said, the fans and sometimes some wrestlers have to remind you of all the good that you've done, but definitely an innovator for sure in the wrestling business. Uh, thank you so much, man. That's my, maybe my greatest uh, compliment that I can get from people is that they said I innovated the most moves in wrestling history. And that's to me one of the good, if I'm up there with Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero and Mysterio and some of those guys, Tiger Mask and Jushin Liger and as an innovator, uh, Dynamite and, you know, Brett and Shawn Michaels and those guys, if I'm even in the same room as those guys on that comment, uh, that to me, I did my job then. 
Absolutely. Now, please give uh, give some plugs. I know you mentioned you got some Twitter, social media, Facebook. You got a YouTube show coming. So give us uh, some plugs where everybody can kind of see what you got going on and, and reach out to you and uh, create uh, create a new network for Teddy Hart. Uh, I know that Facebook is going to be up. There will be a lot of Facebook. There's going to be a Patreon account for people that want to actually watch old videos of mine where I'm going to be commentating with the, with either the guy that I wrestled the match with, if I can get a hold of these people. A lot of them are very busy, but I'm going to do my best. Uh, and also then commentary matches in Mexico where you can't understand the commentary if you're not Spanish. And I would like to just kind of mention things that happened in the match and, uh, you know, spots that were called and how it was broken down and the ba- language barrier between a, a match in Mexico and a match in the States and going back and forth and not getting confused on the styles. And <laughs> that's kind of one part of the show. And another thing, part of the show is the exercising you can do at your house. You know, there's a million workout videos on the computer, but I want something that actually works that's fun, that's like 15 or 20 minutes I can do while I'm sitting on my couch type of thing. And then uh, stuff with my cat being born. You know, I have a new cat. Um, that's not new loyalties. I've had her for one year, but she's pregnant, and she's going to have some babies soon, and I think she's going to have four kittens. I've been doing this for, you know, 10-plus years, maybe uh, 15 almost with the cat breeding. And I've had over 250 cats come through my hands, and I've done, I think, 150 uh, sales for Persian cats in one year, which was like, a, you know, probably close to a record for for a cattery and to not have the SPCA shut us down and what to do to keep these kittens safe and then to get them trained and then uh, bring them out to the ring and then create another type of show cat, even a better show cat now than what I've done before with Mr. Money and Mr. Velvets and loyalty have all been out to the ring numerous times. And it's my Bret Hart sunglasses. I really would like to be able to give a kitten to a fan, a little girl or boy or something like that, or be able to go to a hospital with these cats and, you know, and if the kid comes out of a situation and he gets a new kitten, it's waiting for him at home, you know, and show people the compassion I have and how nice I am and how much work it is to take an animal on the road and keep its litter box clean and keep its fur clean and wash it and take care of it. And it's like a child. And maybe I wasn't able to have kids, but I was always a good coach and I always tried to teach kids the right thing, which is the faster you teach kids lessons and, uh, get them doing a get them doing a you know a strategy which is consistent behavior and doing the same thing every day for a couple months they start to see great results in whatever field that they took on whatever endeavors that they pursue they're going to be able to to come out of it as a success and that's kind of my thing is certain people maybe don't think I've been a success in wrestling on a lot of shit but it's like I traveled the world and had more matches with more people than anybody in the world and I own all the footage you know I have I'm I have a bigger YouTube channel than almost anybody I've never made money on YouTube, but it's time to actually make money so I can start flying fans out and taking care of the people that don't have as much and really build a network of people that when I say it's Teddy Hart's fucking wedding and I'm getting married to myself and my cat, that fucking thousand people come to visit. And I say the first person you got to marry is yourself. And the first person you got to love is yourself. And then once you love yourself, then your animal, because usually I fucking talk to people and most of them have animals. And if you don't, I highly suggest getting one because loneliness and fucking depression and isolation are dangerous things. But again, each their own. But these are the things I'm going to be talking about in my show, like being locked in a jail cell by yourself for fucking two weeks straight with coronavirus and about 14 days of lockdown. You can't get out of the jail cell, not even to get a fucking piss or nothing. You can piss in your jail cell. You got a little bathroom, but you're not going out for a piss or a shower. You're not going out for a phone call. There's nothing, you know, and just like how crazy shit gets when your fucking brother dies or your best friend blows his brain out. And like, you got to come back from that situation and how I did it. You interview other people that have been through cancer and 
had the amputee, you know, a couple of guys that are, they've lost their arms or legs and they're still skydiving or snowboarding or water skiing or, you know, snorkeling or something crazy. And like these stories of these people that just never fucking quit, never gave up. And that's what life's all about is the struggle to get to a level where you're so happy with what you did. When you look back, you go, man, I could see all those things where I could have stopped and I could have quit and I could have been a fucking pussy, you know, and gave up but I didn't. And now look at me. And that's where I want to show people. And I've done this three times and I've been honest enough with myself to realize I slipped a few times and I probably did it to myself. And uh, a few times it was probably not the best thing to do is to hang out with certain people that had uh, different careers than I say than I did or different goals and uh, trying to balance out my life and their life didn't work. And all I can do is say sorry and fix it and get up and fucking fight faster and harder and longer the next time to, to never have to go down again. You know, I'm interested I don't know, like, channel, in the like, comments. I don't know, yeah, please. I just don't know, like, exactly. I think it's the Twitter, Teddy Hart is real. I think that starts up again. I haven't really been on Twitter for a while. Um, and then same thing with the kitten stuff, the kitten TV stuff. I think that starts in about a week or two weeks once she has the baby. She's only about, she's about a week away, I think, from having the babies. And I move into my new place uh, Saturday, so I'll start doing the vlogs again. Uh, my blogs start, I think, on Monday. My podcast starts on Monday. I think it's going to air Tuesday. I'm going to film it Monday. And then basically my clothing line, uh, I'm going to be working on a few things, small stuff. I'm going to be working on some some uh, shoes for different wrestlers to make some cool shoes and some sunglasses for a few different guys. And uh, kind of what goes into the recreating a gimmick because I want to recreate the Teddy Hart gimmick and, and do a little bit, you know, just a little couple tricks to my wardrobe and, uh, potentially special effects and lights that turn off and on in different colors and see what I can do and uh, test the technology, you know, the level on maybe getting a pair of boots that actually allow you to jump higher or there's a spring built into them or something like that, but actually put some money into the actual manufacturing of equipment and wrestling that makes you fucking last longer, better knee pads, better kick pads, maybe, you know, compression shorts or things with the spine adjustment thing in the back to protect your spine or to protect your Achilles tendons, you know, just different things. But I, I have a lot of different concepts that I think if people hear them in the world, they'll be able to then take them to their friends or they'll be able to hear it and they'll be able to tell people that matter or that know what they're doing and they'll be able to make these things come to fruition for me. And these dreams I have will all start to start to come true because there's so many people out there that are going, fuck, we can do all these things now because technology. And again, thank God for technology and thank God for all the fucking nerds out there because you guys are the ones that made this fucking possible. I mean, I'm looking at something right now, which is a piece of fabric, which has got a whole bunch of diamonds on it. The whole thing is just basically all diamonds, but you can put it onto your car. You can wrap a water bottle with it. You can do whatever you want. It's got a Velcro, it's got like a sticky back to it. And it's like, I always dreamed of that type of fabric that I wanted to cover my whole car and these crystals. And now I see this crystal stuff online. I can pick it up for cheap and I can cover my whole fucking car in crystals. And it's like, I put it out to the universe like six months ago and now I see it happening. And that's the thing with people is put out your thoughts to the universe. If you're not trying to be an inventor, then just put out your thoughts to the universe. And sometimes you'll have your dreams come true a lot faster than you think. Celestine prophecy, you'll actually attract other people that are like-minded to you because you're putting out a certain vibrational energy to people and that attracts good, attracts good. And creativity attracts other other creative people. All right, Teddy. Awesome stuff. Really appreciate all the time you gave. I'm definitely looking forward to the comeback trail and looking forward to the podcast and the YouTube show and everything else you got going on. So, you, you know, so good luck to you. Just tell me yeah, how good. I can listen to it. Just let me know what I can do to plug it. And then uh, everybody, please just continue. I always say thanks to Jack Evans and Harry Smith and Natalia and Tyson Kidd and 
WWE, thanks so much for keeping wrestling alive. And AEW, fucking thanks for keeping wrestling going in the future. I know you guys are going to be there in the future, just the way you guys are handling your business. And good luck to MLW and Impact for, uh, you know, giving these guys another place to work because that's very professional. And it makes it fucking important when you're wrestling on TV to, you know, to have value and to feel like you're making your dreams come true. And that's a big thing for these promoters to have TV. And it's a big sacrifice and it's a huge cost. People don't realize the money Impact spent or the money MLW spent or the money Ring of Honor spent or New Japan, you know, just thanks to all the wrestling promotions out there and all the guys that are booking and all the guys that are setting up rings and all the referees that are fucking making counts, you know, and keeping matches good. And we need everybody in this business to keep getting, you know, keep getting along and be smart and pray to God that this coronavirus fucking, you know, is gone in the next six months and we all get back to making people, you know, making money and making people happy. I love you guys. God bless you. And thanks so much for your time, my friend. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling. What the world is downloading.